All right, well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me this morning to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24 together. Our message title, as I indicated a, a moment ago, is Having a Confident Faith. How many of you feel as if confidence is important? Having a, a, a good dose of confidence is important? I think all of us do, don't we? I hope we do anyway. When I think about people with confidence, I often think about athletes, I think about musicians, I think about actors that are in a play, whether that be a, a kid or an adult, someone who stands up in front of their peers and, and delivers a speech or pitches a product. I often think about um, a skilled worker that can thread the eye of a needle while working with a heavy piece of equipment. Um, I, those are the kind of people that I think about. There's something about a person with confidence that is inspiring. And as Christians, having a confident faith is essential. And that is what John is going to address with us this morning. Notice these words. I'm going to actually start reading in verse 17. So we're going to look at verse 17 and 18 just to, uh, for a brief moment this morning. Um, I know we looked at that last week, but it's going to tie um, everything together. But we're going to start reading there, and then we're going to read through verse 24. These are the words at the Apostle John pen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Our message point this morning is this. You can have confidence that you belong to Christ. You can have confidence this morning that you absolutely belong to Christ. And we see our first point this morning is this, the Lord's assurance. Let me ask you another question this morning. How many of you have ever doubted your salvation? Have ever questioned whether or not you are saved? And, and that may have been this morning. I hope it's not this morning. Hopefully it's been in, 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 in the past um, of your life. But if it is this morning, I want you to know that you can be assured of your salvation. You know, I have a strong feeling that all of us in this room at some point or another have questioned whether or not we are saved. Here's what John is doing this morning for us. He reminds us that when doubts do come, he doesn't say if they come. He says when they come. We as believers can be assured of our salvation. How can we be sure of our salvation? Notice this. Believers have experienced a changed heart. In verse 19, again, we read, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. How do we know that we are Christians? You can know that you're a Christian because your heart has been radically changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. When John says, by this, he's actually reaching back to verses 17 and 18 that we've already read and we looked at last week. And, 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 um, and, and in those verses, John talks about love being expressed through believers' generosity. You know, I've often um, counseled with, with individuals from ranging from... Um, 
upper adolescents to teenagers to people in their 80s, and I've talked to them about their salvation. They'll come to me and they say, you know, how do I know that I'm saved? And here's what I'll always do with an individual. I, I lead them back to the moment where they professed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and, can, and, and repented of their sins. And I ask them specifically, have you ever done these things? Have you ever repented of your sins? And if they say yes, and we're, we're tracking um, together, I said, have you ever made Christ Lord and Savior of their life? And they say yes, we're tracking together. If they say no to either one of those things, then I tell them that there is a strong possibility that you're not saved because to be saved, you have to do those things. And if they say yes, I've done both of those things, then what I do is, is, is I ask them, how is your life different today than it was before you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. If they say to me, well, there's no difference in my life today than there was before I accepted Christ, then I say to them that there's a good chance that you're not saved because a believer's life is to be different, isn't it? It looks different than before Christ than it does after Christ. And so we talk through these, um, these things. And, and, and if they, once again, say no to either one of those, usually it's at that point that, that we walk through the plan of salvation, and hopefully at the end of that, that person prays and accepts Christ as Lord and Savior of their life. Why would I tell them that? Because notice what verse 19 again says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And John, again, is, is making reference to verses 17 and 18 and really what he's pinned all the way through this, this great epistle. A believer's life looks different and loves different. We are to be generous with that which God has given us, and the absence of generosity in, in a person's life is the absence of Christ from their life. Believers do not just talk the talk, do they? They walk the walk as well. We are to demonstrate love for one another, and we demonstrate a love for one another when, when we sacrificially give, as we looked at last week in 1 John 3.16. John goes on to identify some certain reality, and we see here the heart's charge. In verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, John does not say if our heart condemns us. He says when our heart condemns us. Let's think about that for just a second. What does that mean? There are times in our lives when our heart should absolutely condemn us, right? Those times usually occur, occur after we have sinned. After we have, maybe there's been gross negligent sin in our life. Maybe there's a habitual sin in our life where we just continually commit the same sin over and over and over again. Maybe it's because we become angry or, or we break one of the Lord's commandments. When those times happen, there should be a condemning of our heart, right? How many of you have ever experienced conviction in your life? When does that happen? It happens after you sin, right? That is what John is talking about here when he talks about the heart condemning us. When, when that happens, as believers, we should feel remorse. We should feel broken. We should be convicted because of our sin. Think about David, okay, King David. After David 
was confronted by Nathan because of the sin that he committed with Bathsheba, what did David do? Man, David, he became a broken man, didn't he? He was broken before Nathan, and he was broken before God. In Psalm 51, we read of of his brokenness. In verses 1 through 3, we read, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. You know, when you find yourself in the midst of sin, there should also be a brokenness that occurs and we should go to the Father and we should repent of that sin, right? Um, We should ask him to forgive us of that so that we can have a clear conscience and, and, and a clear pathway before uh, between us and God the Father. Um, and we, we read, John has already made it clear in our study what we do when we do sin. In 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, yes, at the moment of our salvation, we're forgiven for our sins. But when we commit other sins, post salvation, there should also be remorse, and we should ask God to forgive us of that. Just like if I wrong my wife, I'm not just going to just forget about that because we're married and she needs to just get over it. No, that's not how it works, is it? If that happens, then I'm probably going to be sleeping in the doghouse. If I wrong my wife, if I do something to, to upset her, I ask her to forgive me for that so that our relationship is, 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 is strong, that there's nothing in our life that's preventing us from having a good communication um, pathway. The same happens with God the Father. When we sin, we need to ask God to forgive us of that sin. Notice what David um, also said in Psalm 51.10. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You know, some of you this morning may need to cry out to God just as David did and ask him to create in you a clean heart because maybe there is some gross negligent sin in your life that you have yet to repent of and ask God to forgive you of. It may be a gross negligent sin or it may just be a simple sin. Some of you sinners in this room sped getting to church this morning. You may need to repent of that, okay? And and I probably should be pointing at myself because I'm sure that I probably did that. But we need to repent of our sins, don't we? When we do something wrong, we need to ask God to forgive us of that. There are certainly times when our hearts should condemn us over sin. But no, also, there are times when our heart unjustly condemns us as well. You and I are in a spiritual war, aren't we? We are in a, 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 a war against an evil spirit, an evil enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy us. He is out to do anything and everything he can to get us to doubt our salvation and question our very existence and our purpose. When those times come, Paul reminds us in Romans 8, 1 what we, um, of this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As believers, we have been radically saved from the curse of sin by the blood of Jesus. We can be certain that we will not be retried for the sins that Jesus has already forgiven us of. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that is good news for all of us in this room. Know that when your heart does unjustly 
condemn you. We have this promise in Scripture that God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. God knows our standing before him. He knows that the enemy is at work around us, and he is trying to persuade us into sin. He knows that the devil seeks to create doubt in our minds and in our hearts. And when those times come, may all of us recognize that God knows our hearts. Okay, yes, there are times when our, our heart should um, justly um, be condemned and we should experience that because of the sin in our lives. And there's other times in our life when Satan is going to plant a seed in our, our hearts and in our minds and tell us that we are not worthy to be a child of God. He is going to plant um, seeds in us that calls us to doubt, that calls us, causes us to question our salvation and know that when those times do come, that God knows our hearts. And you can take the devil all the way back to the cross, to that time when Jesus shed his blood for you and covered your sins, and you can take him back to the moment of your salvation to remind him that you are his indeed. God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. And sometimes the devil needs to be reminded of that. that. Notice our second point, have confidence in the Lord. Beloved, if our heart does condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. John begins this verse as he does throughout this great epistle. He, he, he begins it with the term of endearment. You know, oftentimes he says, my little children. Here he says, my beloved John pins these words affirming the believer that has gotten his or her life right with God. I don't know about you, but when I repent of my sins, there is a tremendous weight that is lifted. Is that the same for you? There is a weight that is lifted because you're right with God again. Now, there may still be consequences because of that sin that we have to deal with here on earth, but before God, we stand righteous and in right standing with him. Notice in verse 21 that, that positionally we are right before God, the believer's position. In verse 21, again, we read, Beloved, if our heart does condemn us, we have confidence before God. This word confidence means boldness, belief in someone or something. It means having a firm trust. It, it, is, a, it is a word that, that, we can, that we can certainly say it, it can be grounded in our relationship with Jesus upon the rock of Jesus. When you and I stand rightly before God, then there is nothing like it. We have a confidence in him and in the abilities that he has given us. We are able to stand boldly and pro proclaim the good news of salvation with a brother or sister or with a friend or with a natural enemy. We have confidence to get on airplanes and travel around the world and, and go into um, places where people don't look like us or talk like us and we can boldly share the plan of salvation with people. It allows us to stand before our peers and preach and teach the word of God. Can you imagine going through this life without there being confidence? Can you imagine how, how bad that would be, how hard that would be? Man, there's just something about having confidence that, that, that is 
is, 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 is motivational and inspiring is what it is. Notice that, that as believers, you and I can have confidence in knowing that we are an unstoppable force. Philippians 4.13, what does that verse say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This confidence in the Lord also allows us to boldly approach the Lord in prayer. Notice the Lord's promise in verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. What is the key to answered prayer? Ask yourself that this morning. What is the key to your prayers being answered before God? It's obedience, isn't it? It, it, John was not writing anything new here. He, he was not telling the church something that they did not already know. Have, uh, knowing that our prayers will be answered when we live an obedient life is not anything new to us in this room this morning. John reaches back to the time when he sat amongst the other disciples around the Lord's table and listened to the powerful words spoken by Jesus. And, and in John 14, 12 through 14, um, John penned these words in his gospel. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. When you and I approach the throne of God, then pray in obedience with a clear conscience, we can have confidence that the Lord will not only hear our prayers, but the Lord will also answer our prayers. Now, it's important to note here that God is not our personal genie in a bottle, is he? God is not going to dispense um, um, answered prayers like, like, like um, going to a vending machine and, and getting a Coke or something like that. That's not how God works, is it? When we pray in accordance with the will of God, it is then that our prayers is an, are answered. If we pray selfishly, we can be certain that our prayers are not going to be answered. But when we pray in accordance with God's will and, and, and pray obediently as he leads us to pray, then and only then will our prayers be answered. Notice next, we see here the Lord's condition. Because we keep his commandments, and do what pleases him. That is why our prayers are answered. God answers the prayers of those who walk in step with him. He answers the prayers of those that keep his commands and put into practice the word of God. John Stott lists six conditions that must be met for prayer to be answered. First thing is we pray in Jesus' name. We pray for God's glory. We pray with a clean heart. We pray with a forgiven and a forgiving heart. We pray in faith, and we live an obedient life by keeping the commands of the Lord. So when we pray in accordance with God's will, then and only then is God going to answer our prayers. When we pray selfishly, our prayers aren't going to be answered. What, how did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done. You know, there's a lot of things that, that I pray selfishly for in, in this lifetime, or I have prayed selfishly for. And the vast majority of those things have not come true because I'm praying for something that, that I want. It's a selfish prayer. It's my will that I'm praying for. It's not God's will. 
It's not prayers that advance God's kingdom here on earth. And when we pray those kind of prayers, it's then that God is going to answer us. In closing this morning, notice our final point. We see here the Lord's command. In verses 23 and 24, we read, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments and abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom whom he has given us. Within these two verses, we get a picture of the Trinity, and we see the essence of the gospel and, and a clear pathway which is laid out for us in Scripture to lead an individual to Christ for salvation, okay? Now, here's what I want you to know as believers this morning, or if you're an unbeliever in this, this room this morning, what we're going to look at with these three subpoints are, are, are necessary elements that must take place in order for a person to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, okay? And, and know this, that when you share the plan of salvation with someone else, these are things that need to take place as you share with them. There, there are certain um, steps, okay? We see here the first truth necessary for salvation to come is belief in Jesus. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. In order for a person to enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father, it is necessary for that person to believe in God the Son, isn't it? Jesus made it abundantly clear in John 14, 6. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. There are not 50,000 pathways to heaven. There is one, and that is through Jesus Christ. The only way a person is going to enter into an eternal relationship with God the Father is through God the Son. There has to be that belief. This world likes to tell us that there are a million different ways to heaven. Likes to tell us that, that God's word is not the absolute truth. I was talking with the stoners a few minutes ago before this service began, and this world is, is telling us over and over that God's word is not the absolute truth aren't they? I mean, they, they are censoring us as believers. You know, I saw just an article yesterday that Tim Tebow, apparently um, he, he did a, a little devotional and he posted it to Twitter. And in that, he quoted a scripture and, and that um, video was flagged um, by the Twitter gurus out there. And now someone called them on that, and they apologized for that and said that it was an oversight on their end. What is happening in our world today is, as believers, we are being silenced. We are being told that God's Word is not the absolute truth. And we're seeing that over and over on Twitter and on Facebook and, I assume, on Instagram and some of these other platforms that are out there as well. The world likes to tell us that there's a million ways to heaven, but there's only one way, and that is through belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, let me ask you this. Do you know where you'd spend eternity? You know, often when I share the plan of salvation with somebody, I ask them that question. If you were to die today, do you know where you'd spend eternity? A lot of times people like to say, you know, heaven, because I'm a good person. Goodness, your goodness will never get you to heaven. God's goodness gets us to heaven, right? It's only through a relationship 
with him. And so if anybody ever tells you that they were a good person, then just know this right away, that, that they are trying to get to heaven on, upon their good graces and their good works. Okay, there's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus, through a belief in him. There has to be repentance of sin that must occur as well. An individual must confess Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life as well. And there also needs to be obedience in their lives towards God's commands as well. If they do that, if they believe in Jesus and repent of their sins and confess Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life, then and only then is that the biblical picture of salvation on full display. If you haven't done that in your own life this morning, then there is a chance that you yourself this morning are not saved if you haven't done that. Notice the next thing we see here. The evidence of our salvation is our love for others. In verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Know that what we believe and upon whom we believe will impact how we love other people. John reminds us and his readers once again of the great commandment that Jesus Christ left us with. In John 13, 34 through 35, we read a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The absence of love is the absence of Christ, my friends. If you don't love your neighbor, if you don't love other people, then, 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 then how can you say that you are a Christian? Jesus made it abundantly clear that to be a follower of Christ, there must be a love for others. And, and, and when we think about um, all the one another's in Scripture that are directed toward the church, we see the kind of love that we have with one another. And, and think about this. We, um, we are to pray for one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to build each other up. We are to correct one another. We are to confess our sins to one another. We are to love one another, serve one another, stir one another up. We are to show hospitality toward one another. That's what it looks like <clears throat> as believers, our love for one another toward other believers. But that love for one another is also to expand outside of the doors of this church as well, isn't it? You know, I saw probably, you know, there have been a lot of commercials um, that, that I've seen over the last multiple months about the coronavirus, okay, about the importance of wearing masks, the importance of social distancing, the importance of washing our hands and, and, and sheltering in place. I've seen tons of commercials on that. I saw one yesterday that absolutely broke my heart, and you may have seen this as well. But the closing um, statement on that screen was this, pound alone together. That right there broke my heart because what we're seeing in our world today is, is a push from those um, that are above us in government 
telling us that we need to do life alone and separate from one another. Guys, that is not a good thing. That is contrary to God's word. We are to do life together. We are not to be alone. And, and, and you think about what's happening in our world today. Suicides are up. Depression is up. Broken hearts is just is what we are seeing in our world today. Why is that? Because we've been told that we need to do life alone from one another. That's contrary to God's word. Now I'm not about to 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 say this morning that that we need to charge our government buildings and 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 stand up for our rights. I'm not saying that at all to you this morning. But what I am saying that is we need one another. We've got to stick together because that is biblical. Notice finally, our last point this morning is this, the Lord's gift. Whoever keeps his commandments and abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Another mark of a believer is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The absence of God's Spirit in an individual's life is the absence of Christ. If you um, are here this morning, and, and, and you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life, then, then you are not a follower of Jesus. You have not been saved. You have not been set free from, from the curse of sin. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and, and uh, maybe through this message, God has, um, has impressed upon your heart someone that you need to share the plan of salvation with. During this time of invitation, I want you to pray for that individual. Pray specifically for that individual that God would open up that door for you to share the plan of salvation with them. You may say, well, I don't know how to share the plan of salvation with somebody. Well, we kind of looked at that a little bit this morning, but, but um, we've got tracks that are available that you can grab, that you can use as sources. Talk to me. I'd love to share with you more about how you can share your plan of salvation, share the plan of salvation with somebody. In closing this morning, Again, are you saved? And then also know this, that as believers through Christ, we can have confidence to do all things as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Um, I'm going to lead us in, in, um, in prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, you come. You come. Father God, we come before you now this morning, Lord Jesus, just recognizing, recognizing, Lord Jesus, that we are in a battle. Father, it is a spiritual battle. And Father, it is also a physical battle. There are agents at play today that are verbalizing their hatred toward the church, their hatred toward us as believers, and, and their desire to see those within the church silenced. And Father, it is time that we, as the church, confidently stand boldly to proclaim the good news of salvation amongst those that we do life with. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, this morning for, for, for those in this room, Lord, 
that, that recognize there's someone in their family, someone that they work with, or, or somebody in their community, Lord, that doesn't have a relationship with you and you've impressed upon their heart the need to share the plan of salvation with them. Father, I pray for boldness as they do that. Lord, I pray for confidence as they do that. I pray that they recognize that, that through the strength and empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they can do all things. And so they can, they can boldly proclaim the good news of salvation with those that you've impressed upon their heart. Lord, there may be somebody in this room this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you. And I pray that today you'll draw that person or those individuals unto salvation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. 